Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, we visit Strangford Lock and hear about the recent Viking festival held there. We learn how celestial navigation still has a place to play while navigating the oceans, despite all our satellite technology. And we hear from a Donegal company making lobster pots. Strangford Lock Viking Festival took place in County Down at the end of last month. The main attractions there were the Viking tall ships. They were once common in the area in the 9th and 10th centuries. Strangford Lock was once known as Lock Cuan, or the Quiet Lock, but it's known for its very strong currents. From Strangford, there's a busy ferry service to Port of Ferry Marina across the lock. It was built to navigate the strong currents and the high winds and Porto Ferry was once known for shipbuilding which continued into the 20th century. Our reporter Mike McCartney made his way up to Strangford Lock to sample the atmosphere and try out the ferry. It's Friday afternoon and the crowds are gathering at the pier in Strangford as one of the Viking tall ships is being unloaded. Among those rowing the tall ships will be Sarah Carroll, Tony Jekko Jenkins and Wicklow native Vanessa Ormond. I'm here to row the Viking ships. Um, because I row with the, the movies, the Viking movies and Valhalla. And we, we come from different clubs, so we row against each other a lot of the time. And um, we just come here because Paul has asked us to come up and row the Viking ships up here for the attraction. And you're involved in rowing in Wicklow in one of the local clubs? Arclough Rowing Club, yeah. We row the skiffs, the traditional skiffs. And we have our regattas up and down the East Coast before COVID, really. Um, but I also row the slide and seat boats, which are the, the sea boats now, not the river. But it's much the same style. Everything will be back up and running hopefully now with the COVID's finished. So back in training again. What's your schedule this weekend? Well, this evening we have to rig up these boats and get them on the water and uh, get back into costume then. And then we're going to banquet, I'm told, be fed, and drink, and be merry and live like Vikings for the weekend. That's it. Across from Strangford is the Port of Ferry Marina. There is a distance of 76 kilometres between the two villages by road, but both communities are linked by a very busy ferry service. Hi there, my name is Mark Mahon. I'm one of the skippers here on the Strangford Ferry. There's huge history, I believe, involved in this ferry going over and back. Yeah, this ferry is one of the longest continual ferries in the world at the minute. This was given a grant in the 11th century at the start of the Norman Conquest for ferries and it's been a continual ferry ever since. And does it run all year long? All year long. We start at half seven in the morning till 11 o'clock at night, uh, every day of the year except Christmas Day. Now, the currents are very, very strange here, I believe. Yeah, we're still probably one of the third strongest currents in the UK. Uh, we're sitting at the minute, this current is probably running at about five knots, which is quite strong. Uh, as you can see, as we're moving across here, you can see the run of the tide that we have to fight. As you can see, the boat, where we crab across the lock, it's because of our propeller system called the Voith Snyder, means we can go sideways, and that's how we manoeuvre the ferry boat going across. We can go sideways across the current. And how many passengers, roughly, would you carry each year? At the last count, it was, I think, 450,000 a year. Uh, as you can see, we're quite busy today. And on this boat every day, this next run, we will have school children. We probably have about 190 school children will be tra- travelling over on this to school every day 
during the school year. Viking groups have travelled from all parts to attend. Countries such as Norway, France, Poland and Denmark are all here, among others. I'm Hannah and I'm from Sweden. Mm, I started working as a Viking 15 years ago and I got accidentally dragged out on the reenactment festivals with a friend. And then I ended up stuck in it, and yeah, since it's 15 years ago, you can tell. <laughs> it's been many hundred markets after that. The Viking ship itself, how impressed are you by that? Well, I think it's quite impressive that <laughs> they dragged it all the way here, to be honest, but I haven't had the time to really try it out yet, because it's still on land. So I'll be impressed when it's in the water. My name is Grace McVicker Chafin. Is it unusual for somebody from the United States to have an interest in Vikings since America was founded in 1492? <laughs> um, honestly, no. Uh, it sounds kind of strange, but I think a lot of people are struggling a bit with identity with America as things have become more popular in history. Um, not just in Vikings TV shows, but in Game of Thrones, things like that. They're looking for kind of their connections to those times in history as uh, something older than America. And they do their Ancestry.com reports or things like that, and they get their DNA test back, and they go, I have some Scandinavian, or I have some Irish in me, and they start to do research, and they come over and visit. So um, there are actually quite a lot of reenactors in the United States, and I'm happy to be one of them, but I do spend most of my summers and most of my time here, and I'm, I'm moving to Wales full-time, so... Looking at the long boats that come in here from the, the Viking era, what was it that impressed you? What was your first impression of, of the actual boat? Uh, the engineering, I think. Uh, I, my background's in biological engineering, and I, I love history on the side, but uh, the engineering that they had back then was incredible, the way that they actually structured the boats. I mean, there's a reason that that was the technology that made going Viking, you know, going out and raiding to places like Ireland and places that have uh, shallow you know, river systems but need to get across oceans. That, that is why they were able to do it is because of their engineering and how brilliant that was. So we oftentimes see the pillaging and all of that as the forefront of being a Viking, but I think more than anything it was being excellent engineers. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm from uh, Llandudno in North Wales and we've come over here with Northern Fire, our company, uh, to, uh, to, to sell some of our pewter and silver. What about the boats? When I've been across into the festivals in Scandinavia, occasionally you'll find that you know that some of them have boats, but not not uh, not all of them. Certainly not three of them. So this is quite special. And what have you heard about the the crossing of the Vikings making their way over to this part of the world? I mean, the Vikings were going all over Europe at the time from here over to Istanbul. Uh, so this wasn't such a far cry for them. But um, it, yeah, they certainly had a hell of a lot to do with the area. Paul was just telling me that Strangford comes from um, Strongfjord uh, in reference to the whirlpools. So I'm sure they would have had to have battle with them back then, just as uh, seafarers do now. Back at the pier, one of the Viking longships sits proudly. I'm Paul Kavanagh, and I'm one of the coordinators of an organisation called Lakes Vikings. And we've had Viking longships. Yeah. So it's about 40 foot long. It's clinker built, as the Vikings did. The first thing, let me explain why they were called longships, Michael. That is because compared to the type of boats that the Saxons and the Franks and others in Europe had at the time, these were very long and narrow. So they just look so different from the boats they had in other countries a thousand years ago. This one, it's about 40 foot long. It's about 8 foot wide. Um, it's rowed uh, with 10 oars and crewed with at least uh, two other people, so a helmsman in the stern and a bowman. So 12 people can crew this boat. But usually, 
we might have another 10 on warriors or somebody like that, Michael. The Vikings and their presence here in the past, there's a lot of history. There's a rich Viking her- heritage here, Michael. It's not the same as other places like Dublinia, for instance, where they find a lot, a lot of artefacts in Dublin, buried in the mud and so forth. But we have some really good stories that prove that the Vikings were here. In the uh, Irish Annals, the monks wrote that a Viking called Haftan, uh, who was interested in conquering a lot of territory here, fought a great sea battle in Strangford Lock. And this leader, Haftan, was actually killed during that sea battle. And that's recorded. And then perhaps the most famous one, a king of Norway called Magnus Berlegs. Obviously, he didn't wear any trousers. He had made a pact with the local gales here. But they went back on that pact, ambushed him, and in that ambush, the king of Norway, King Magnus, was actually killed. And he's buried here, now near Downpatrick. Now, let's take a walk around this particular boat, because there's not much room for privacy when you take the whole crew into account. And where would they sleep? What do they do for food, or where do they prepare it? Well, uh, Michael, they would have prepared food just the same way we do in land camps. They would have had a a wooden frame uh, that they put together, loose planks, and then they all slot together into a square box or a rectangular box, put a couple of inches of sand in the bottom, and then you can light a fire on that and the wood doesn't go on fire. And And how do they manage for sleeping? You sleep on the deck across it. And I can tell you that that is true for a fact because... Uh, a number of us, our hobby is sailing these square rigged ships and they have replica ships in a place called Roskilde in Denmark. They have a huge one there, it's 100 foot long, takes 70 people to crew it. A number of us go over every year and crew on long voyages on that ship and we work in shifts and at night time on your six hour uh, night sleep you sleep in your sleeping bag across the deck. Now, what's going to be your role here on this beautiful boat this weekend? Michael, this is the Strangford Lock Viking Festival weekend, and we've got three longships here. These ships actually have been stars in the Vikings TV show that's shot down in Ashford in Wicklow. And we have one in the water uh, here in uh, Strangford, and then a couple on the other side in Porta Ferry. And we're going to do some rowing trips just to show the public what these boats looked like as they moved across the water. Porta Ferry over there, that was an area where there was a lot of shipbuilding right up until the 20th century. Now we just walked down Rope Walk. Tell us about it. It got that name, Michael, because I'm told that there were two posts 100 yards apart. And as they spun the ropes in the the warehouse, they took them out into the rope walk and they tied them between the posts and wrapped them round and that's how they could measure how much rope they had. It's an interesting thing actually because until you start to get involved in these old sailing vessels, you don't realise the huge quantities of rope that is involved. Now you're going to have to negotiate that very, very strong current It's an amazing natural phenomenon here, Michael. Where we're standing, looking out towards Port-A-Ferry, and we see the modern-day ferry coming along, uh, it's half a kilometre wide. But the inland uh, water is 30 kilometres long and 15 wide, so it's a huge volume of water. It's slack water, low tide and high tide, it's very still. But then once the tide's either coming or going, it rushes in here at 10 knots every day. 10 knots. 
One of the things I often wonder, Michael, is how did seafarers manage when they didn't have engines in their boats? Because we're looking at this modern-day Strangford Ferry, a powerful uh, boat coming in with several cars and lots of passengers, struggling against the force of this 10-knot current. How did the Viking longships cope with this type of thing a thousand years ago? Mike McCartney reporting from Strangford Lock. And if you've never been on the ferry, it's well worth the trip. Remember Van Morrison's description of part of that journey along the Arts Peninsula. from Dine Patrick stopping off at St. John's Point I all day bird watching and the crack is good stopped off at Strangford Lock early in the morning drove through Shigley taking pictures and on to Kelly stopping for Sunday papers at the Lacal district just before Coney Island Over the hill to our glass in the jam jar. Autumn sunshine, magnificent and all shining through. Stop off at our glass for a couple of jars of mussels and some potted herrings in, in case we get famished before dinner. On and on over the hill, and the crack is good. Heading towards Coney Island. Look at the side of your face. As the sunlight comes streaming through the window in the autumn sunshine. And all in all the time we're going to Coney Island, I'm thinking. Wouldn't it be great if it was like this all the time? I recently attended the Skipper Show in Limerick which showcased many of the businesses involved in the marine sector in Ireland. We heard from some of them two weeks ago, and tonight we have two more of those businesses. The first is the marine training company, Ruan Maritime. Mike Ruan of Ruan Maritime, educating and training for sea sa- for safer seafaring. Yeah. What are you doing here? What we have here is a training unit, and we do uh, marine radio training, which is... Uh, uh, authorised by the Department of Transport and we also do marine engine training, diesel training and radar training, uh, first aid training and navigation training including celestial navigation. So, uh, okay, that's if you're really stuck somewhere so nothing when, when, all, when all else fails and the electronics don't work and you know yourself like uh, seawater and electronics don't mix too well so when all else fails uh, you navigate by the stars and uh, we never know what might happen to the satellites now in the yeah. present situation so uh, uh, celestial navigation is very good uh, Does it, it's, it's, do, do people still use it? 
Yes, if you're deep sea, uh, a lot of people do, do uh, use it because unless they have a full uh, fleet of, of uh, electronic navigation and stuff like that, they're, you know, if anything goes wrong, they're sunk. They have no lighthouses to take uh, uh, bearings with, with a hand-bearing mm. compass, so they can take them from the lighthouses in the sky, from the planets, stars or sunset. Because it is, if you do say, for example, the, your sailing courses, the yacht masters courses, the celestial navigation is the most advanced course on that. Is it very hard to learn? It's not really. It's not. Uh, a lot of people think there's alchemy involved with uh, celestial navigation, but it's not really. It's the same as uh, standard navigation, where you take a bearing on a on a point and you. Uh, X marks the spot or near enough the spot. Okay. So you will have a, a little chart. I've seen these dial charts that you have. You dial up. You think where you are. Uh, no. Yeah. If you're at sea, if you if you left Galway in the morning, heading west for uh, for America in, in a yacht, uh, your average speed would be six seven knots. So even if something you got a slap from the boom and you were uh, knocked out, and 24 hours later you're wondering where you are. Well, how far can you go? That's a, you know, it's only about 150 miles. So if you're gone east, you're somewhere around uh, Maynooth or Kilcock or somewhere yeah. like that. <laughs> so you have to be out there somewhere. So if you take that's your longitude, you're using the clock. You're guessing how far west you've gone. You're, you're guessing, and uh, even if you don't know, if you if you take the uh, sun sites or planet sites or anything like that, if you Put in, in your calculations that your estimated position is Galway. You know it's not, but you put in the estimated position and you do your calculations. It would tell you, no, you are not in Galway. You are 150 miles uh, south southwest from it or whatever, and we'll give you a bearing to as to where you are. And now, after doing the first sight, you now have a position. Okay. So tomorrow, you put in that position as where you think you are, as if you haven't moved at all. And then it will tell you, no, you're not in that position. You're so north, south, east or west of that position. Okay. So, are you, are you looking for a particular star all the time or a group uh, of stars? No, whatever, whatever you can see, uh, you know, it's all subject to... Um, you're uh, taking bearing on it on your bearing on it, which is sextant. Like when we went to Greenland in 2019... We didn't see the sky at all, day or night. We didn't even get a sun. You couldn't even take a sunset. Well, luckily enough, the electronics were good. And uh, but having said that, you uh, you're bound to get something if you can get just a, a sun sight, just one sight, and maybe a running sun. You may not always get a noonday sight, but if you get a moon sight or a star sight, you know uh, you can work off that and it's fairly accurate it's accurate to within possibly about uh, 300 yards so it, it's, it will always work it can never break down can never break down all you need is a clear sky and see something up there okay. Mike uh, where, how do we find about, out about your training schemes well uh, if you check out our website which is uh, ruinmaritime.com and all our courses are shown there now, as well as the training part of it, what we do as well is that we do on-board tuition. Okay. That if you have a yacht and you really don't want to go with, uh, on a course with a lot of smart young guys that pick up stuff so, so quick and fast, uh, what we can do is we can go to your boat, go through all your electronics, go through your, your marine engine, 
uh, take you out, do a bit of pontoon bashing with you, take you out, do navigation with you. And uh, uh, what happened with an awful lot of new boat owners is they like the comfort of their own boat rather than going to a, a, to a training facility and getting onto a different type of boat and trying to learn it all over again. So uh, it is a fairly popular course that we do. Mike, thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And RanMaritime.com are based in Wexford, but they operate all over the country. The next person I met for tonight is from Donegold and Inishone Celtic Iron. They make lobster pots, among other things. Liam McDermott of Inishone Celtic Iron, Karen Jenna. Tell me about your company. We're on North Inishone. Um, we're making lobster pots and creels now for almost 12 years. Uh, we started off as a, just an ordinary engineering uh, we make gates, railings, staircases, balconies and stuff. Uh, the recession come, we needed another angle, so we, we got into the, the, the lobster pots and, and crab pots. And it has went well for us. We've, uh, we do a lot. We supply a lot of people who cover the pots themselves. We manufacture the frames, but we also sell okay, which the finished there's, product as well. Okay, are they steel frames? They are steel frames and they're, pl- they're plastic coated. Uh, they're heated and they're dipped in powder and they're plastic coated. Um, we can also have them galvanized and then plastic coated if you wish. That's mainly made out of 10 millimeter and maybe 12 millimeter steel. Okay, tell me about a lobster pot here. It, how do they work? It, this is it's mostly netting with a steel frame. Yeah, they, they shoot them on a line. Depend on the size of, mainly of the boats. Uh, some people shoot 70. They call it a tow. On a, 70, 70 of these on a line yes on okay. a main line what, what is that that's the smallest one what is that weigh that's about well, that, 20 kilograms 15 no, kilograms no that's actually a very heavy one these here would actually be the most common pot here and they would weigh around about uh, between 12 to 14 kilos finished now the, what happens is uh, I'll just I'll show you here the, we lift off the pot here and have a look at it yeah this comes in this is tied on to a line it's tied on to a main line so you have a short rope here and then a long rope, main rope, and okay. you could have 70 of those on, on okay. the toe. So the crab goes on here. This is bit, This is called the bit bag. Okay, it's, it's like you. a little door. Uh, I'll each. show you. Uh, just a little bit right here. This. They open this here. They push on the bit in here. It's a, it goes in here's a, a nest door on its own? Yes. And then they close it. Now the, the bit's on, but the crab has to go in here. And once he goes in there, he's trapped. Hotel California, he can check in, but he can never he leave. He can never get out. <laughs> that is Well, that's the way we like to think that they can't get out. Then they pull them in. They open the door from here yeah. and they reach in to crab out and they rebait it and shoot it. Okay. They shoot the pot back out again. And the way these are built, they'll always sink bottom down? Yes, they're heavier at the bottom. They're also round, so if they, they'll actually roll back onto their base again nine mm. times out of ten as opposed to a square pot. You could have a square pot, but if it went down, this would hit the bottom, so that allows the crab not to get on. If you understand it, yeah, it, it yeah. gives you... So that's why they're round, so yeah. they kind of roll back onto their base again. They're always heavier on the base as well, so that, that makes it stay at the bottom. You see these all over the country. There must be millions of them millions around of, Ireland. Yes. Oh, is, yes. It, how, is it big business? Is it hard to make a living with these? At the present minute... Um, I'm not just crying the poor mouth, but with the prices of steel has okay. shot up. Like everybody knows, the price of all the products have gone clean high. But these these pots would be costing twice as much to make now as they were like two years ago. Okay. Uh, 
it's, it's unbelievable how it has affected. And like that, the, the price of the crab and lobster hasn't rose and the price of diesel. Now, it's, I think eventually we will overprice the fisherman because the price of his diesel and the price of, of his kit for his product, these have gone up so much. These have gone up like, like almost 50% in two years. Okay. Since the last time I was talking to you, yeah, four years ago, four now. years ago, these have nearly doubled in price. So, like, I don't know how long they can sustain that, yeah. but uh, so far it's been very busy. How much do does a pot go for? Uh, look, these every single pot you see here is different price because it's different quality, different sizes, different finished. But um, the basic pot would start off somewhere around about sixty-eight, sixty-nine euros. If we want to find out more about the pots, more about the company, yes. you have websites. Yes, and uh, we're on Facebook, and, and, and you can see us. And the email is initialcelticr at gmail.com. Thanks for your time. And indeed, thanks to everybody I met at the Skipper Show in Limerick recently. that's it for seascapes for this week we're back at the same time next friday everything on the program is podcast it's on our website rte.ie slash seascapes if you want to contact me or the program the email is seascapes at rte.ie and i'd like to thank all the people who take their time to write in to me and to email me to tell me how much they enjoy the program if you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week stay safe Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.